0: Well, good morning everybody. It is wonderful to be with you. I gotta tell you, this is, this is a really great weekend here at Grace Church, and uh, I'm just glad that, that you're here and that you're watching online and that we're doing this together. Um, we're gonna look at Acts today, as we have been for the last several weeks, but before we dive in, if you wouldn't mind, I'd just love to open our uh, time together in the Word with prayer. So let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you've brought us here. Uh, we are grateful that you are going to speak to us today. And my prayer, Father, is simply that we would listen, that we would have ears to hear what you have for each of us. Uh, and I, I pray, Father, as, as I'm speaking, that, that I would just disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain as we open your word and, and listen to, uh, to what you have for us. So, Father, would you speak? We are listening, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this is week four in our series, How It Started, How It's Going. And we're talking essentially about the early church and what we can learn about the story of the early church compared to what we're experiencing today at Grace Church. And in this... Series so far, what we've seen is some pretty cool stuff happening. We've saw how God gave His Holy Spirit, uh, his, his restoring presence, which I'll talk about more in a moment. Uh, he put that in the hearts and the, the minds of His followers, of the followers of Jesus, and then they start doing incredible things. They, they're able to, to heal people and, and speak truth, God's truth, and incredible things are happening, and everybody's filled with awe. Remember that jaw-dropping astonishment? They're filled with awe. And so we've been seeing how this movement is gathering steam and thousands of people are joining the church. And uh, one of the things that's coming out of this movement is this incredible sense of generosity. Many people are are giving and, and sharing what they have because they're just in awe of what God is doing. And so one of the issues that they came up against is the fact that they had all of these widows, uh, who were very vulnerable people at that time, who didn't have the the food that they needed, and so they had to figure out how to distribute the food that they had gathered to all these different widows. And so what they did is they called these these godly men and asked them to start overseeing food distribution, and one of those men was named Stephen. Stephen. Now, in in Acts, Luke, who's the author of Acts, he 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 wasn't there at the time. This is something that he was establishing through eyewitness accounts, but everybody understood. Stephen was a man who Luke, Luke describes as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, okay? He was full of, of faith in the Holy Spirit, and when I, again, when I talk about the Holy Spirit, I want you to remember this. This is at when the Holy Spirit in Acts is God's powerful restoring presence within us. That's what the Holy Spirit is, God's powerful restoring presence within us, and Stephen had that. He had that uh, in the story we 're looking at today, uh, though Stephen unfortunately or maybe fortunately, I guess it depends on how you look at it, he became the very first martyr in the church. a martyr is someone who dies for their faith, and Stephen was the very first person to die for his faith in Jesus, and his death becomes something of a turning point for the early church because Up until this point, as I said, we've got thousands of people joining the movement. They're meeting in the temple. They're meeting openly and celebrating. Everything's great. And then after Stephen's death... Suddenly the tables turn and, and persecution and violence and oppression starts to to, to you know, get all over the church. And so Christians have to kind of go underground and they scatter all across the, the ancient world. And so this is a turning point where things kind of have to go from out in public to underground. So it's an important moment. So we're going to look at this story now it does tell you, it tells us some great historical things about why things began to change for the church. But the reason I want us to focus on it so much today is because it also tells us some really important things about what it means to follow Jesus. And so let's look at what happened when Stephen became the first martyr. So go ahead and grab a Bible, please, and we're going to turn to book of Acts, as you might have expected, and it's going to be chapter uh, 6, starting at verse 8, which is page 910 in the house Bibles in the seat in front of you. So there's a little bit of information about Stephen before this that kind of sets him up, but this is what happened when Stephen was arrested. So verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, "'We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God.'" This roused the people, they, the elders and the teachers of the re- religious law. So they arrested Stephen, and they brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Okay, so Stephen is accused, in verse 13, he's accused of speaking against the law of Moses. What what do they mean by this? What does this accusation mean? Well, the law of Moses, as I've talked about before, it was a a set of instructions that God gives the Israelites, and and these instructions contain a, a way of living, a lifestyle that would bring the Israelites god's blessing it would bring their blessing and not only to them but through by following these instructions of how to live the Israelites would not only be blessed but they would begin to bless the rest of the world that was the whole point of why god gave them the law and so it was a lifestyle of justice a lifestyle of mercy of abundance it was a lifestyle of selflessness that's what the law was intended to be it was a way to return humanity to an eden kind of life as we've talked about but but as we read in the story of the Bible, the Israelites, they miss the point of the law over and over again. Either, either A, they, they just break the law, like they just commit injustice or they're selfish or whatever. Or B, as the religious leaders here do, they, they kind of, they just miss the point by starting to, uh, to turn the law into a, a form of, of oppression and control. They, they treat it like a legalistic code of behavior. They focus in on the minutia of the specific regulations while missing the bigger picture of of what the law's purpose really is. The law was meant to be God's way of of showing his love and compassion, but instead, these Israelites and and these religious leaders, they, they use it as a form of control and a form of oppression. That's totally not what it was meant to be. This, by the way, this is the reason. These same religious leaders are the ones who crucified Jesus or or arranged to have him crucified. They did it because in their mentality of the law, Jesus, even though he was... I'm telling you, he was God's, God's instructions, God's intentions for the world personified. Even though he followed the spirit of the law completely, when they looked at him, they saw someone who was blaspheming, that's like, like disrespecting God, and they saw someone who was breaking the law because they, he didn't live it out the way that they expected him to or the way that they thought you were supposed to. So even though he was God's instructions, God's intentions personified, they killed him. They killed him because they had missed the point of the law. It was to bring life and freedom, not oppression, okay? Well now, in Acts, after Jesus' death and resurrection, God's Holy Spirit, his his powerful restoring presence, remember, is within Jesus' followers. In essence, they have now the law of Moses written on their hearts, and they are able to live out God's intentions for the world, just like Jesus. It's written on their hearts, and Stephen is a perfect example of that. Stephen is bringing healing and life and blessing into the world. He's performing amazing signs and miracles through God's Spirit. He is a a living example of, of God's intentions lived out. And he's just a part, just another part of this movement in Acts that is absolutely blowing people's minds, leaving their jaws on the floor, leaving them with awe, because these are ordinary people doing extraordinary things through the power of God's Holy Spirit. So that's what it means to live out God's Torah, his law, his instructions, his intentions. And so that's what Stephen was doing. Now, look at verse 15, because it says Stephen's face became as bright as an angel's. Literally, he had the face of an angel, which... I don't know if that was just an expression or whether that was literal. Was he actually glowing? Was, was, was it just something that, again, Luke was piecing this together from, from the uh, you know, accounts of people who were there. Did they look back at that moment and think, you know, he really just looked like an angel or something? I don't know. But the point that Luke is trying to make is pretty clear. Uh, Stephen has God's radiance, radiant presence just flowing out of him, right? He's radiating the presence of God. But just like with Jesus the religious leaders accuse Stephen of breaking God's law because what they cared about, again, were the rules and the regulations, and they missed the bigger point that God's law was a, God, was a, was a law of love and grace. So what Luke, the author of Acts, what he's doing here is he is setting up for his readers, for us, a dichotomy. A dichotomy is just a, a, a contrast between two opposing things. You've got Stephen, on one hand, he's walking on a path of love and forgiveness with the Holy Spirit working through him, while the religious leaders are walking a different path. They're walking the path of legalism and judgmentalism, and and in their way, they're they're standing in the way of God's purposes. So Luke wants us to understand that there are, are two very distinct ways to live, walking in line with God's intentions for the world, or standing in his way. Does that make sense? adding to the brokenness. That's, that's the, the dichotomy that Luke is bringing to, to us to, to think about. So in, in seven chapter 7, verse 1, uh, these religious leaders, they give Stephen a chance to respond. Are these accusations true? Are you breaking the law of Moses? And how he responds— is interesting because it's actually the longest speech that we have recorded in the entire book of Acts. I mean, it's a, it's a long—it takes up the whole chapter 7 is pretty much just his, his speech. Now, why this is important is because we have to remember, scrolls were expensive— Okay, for Luke to write this this entire book on a on the biggest scroll you could buy, that is a very expensive proposition. And so if you're writing in the ancient world, you've got to make sure that every word counts, right? You want to use ev- you want to make sure you're getting it down exactly to just what needs to be there so you can have as much space used up as possible in that scroll with with important things. And and okay, so maybe Stephen's speech is really important, but then you read it and you think, "Okay, hold on a second, because the whole speech He's basically giving, like, a Bible 101 lesson. Like, he's, uh, he starts out with, like, there once was a man named Abraham. Uh, okay, yeah. These are the religious leaders of Israel. He goes into the story of Joseph, and the story of Moses, and the story of, of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Look, if you're a religious leader of Israel, you have heard these stories hundreds of times. Like, ever since you were a child, you know these stories, and yet Stephen is going on to explain all this stuff to them as if they've never heard it. So, First of all, why would Stephen feel the need to go on this long speech telling them all of these things they already know? And second, why wouldn't Luke just summarize that in a sentence on this very expensive scroll? Why wouldn't he say, and then Stephen told them about the Bible? Like, no, what what was he thinking? Because seriously, somewhere along the line, Luke really wanted us to pay attention to this. It wasn't just a basic Bible lesson. So what was he getting at? Why did he capture it in this way? Well, when you look at Stephen's speech— it's important to notice that there are a couple threads that weave throughout the speech. And one of those threads, it's easy to miss, but it's really important to pay attention to. Uh, This thread is is what he talks about alongside what he mentions of the basic Bible facts. For example, uh, when he talks about Joseph in the the story from Genesis, he also talks about Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers, who actually, uh, I mean, they sold Joseph into slavery, they were working against Joseph even though he was God's chosen representative. Uh, when Stephen tells the story of Moses, he also talks about the Israelites who rejected Moses. They, they, they didn't believe that he was actually operating on, on God's behalf. When he tells the story of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, he also mentions the Israelites who ignored the law and decided to worship other gods. You see what's happening here? He, he's, he's painting a picture of the same dichotomy that Luke is painting a picture of in this whole ordeal. It's like, it's like a story within a story. Stephen's speech has the same dichotomy of, of the book of Acts that Luke is giving us. You've got the dichotomy of, of those who are faithfully living out God's intentions, God's representatives like Stephen, and those who are completely missing the point, those who are, are standing in the way of God's intentions. It's the dichotomy. It's the dichotomy of Acts, and it's the dichotomy of Stephen's speech. Now, I know that seems kind of simple and obvious. You're like, I don't think anyone's here is like, whoa, I can't believe there's two different ways to live. No, it's not, that's not the point. But clearly, Luke wants us to pay attention to this, or he wouldn't have put an entire 30th of his scroll just dedicated to this one story. So, That's the dichotomy that he sets up. And and Stephen goes through this whole speech, and then he comes to the conclusion of his speech. And listen to what he says. This is over to chapter, at the end of chapter 7, verse 51. He comes to the conclusion of his speech, and he says, You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you received it from the hands of angels. Well, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So, Stephen is killed because he turns the tables on these religious leaders. You remember what their accusation was against him. You are speaking against the law of Moses. Well, he flips that right around. And in verse 53, he says, you, you religious leaders, deliberately disobeyed God's law. So this, at the end of that whole speech about the story of Bible 101, I think what he is doing here, if I could paraphrase, is he is saying, look, you are just like the brothers of Joseph who rejected him. You're just like the Israelites who rejected Moses. You are just like our ancestors who rejected the law. When you killed Jesus, you rejected the righteous one of God. You murdered the one person who was closest to God's heart, closest to his intentions, the one person who could actually stand in authority at God's right hand. You thought you were defending God's law, but you were breaking it. You were breaking it. And then, as if to put an exclamation point on this whole fact, the religious leaders do it again, don't they? They drag Stephen out of the city, out onto the street, and they start throwing heavy stones at him until he is dead. And to be clear, I just want you to understand, this is not some legal proceeding. This is not some court-ordered execution. This is a lynching. This is, a, this is an extrajudicial murder. This is how much their rage overflows as they murder this man of a man. This is a murder of a man who just moments before had the face like an angel, who was doing miraculous signs, who was healing people in Jesus' name. These religious leaders had once again completely missed God's heart for the world. They were on the wrong path. And this is important. Luke goes out of his way to make sure that we see that there is a strong correlation between the death and the, the trial and the death of Jesus and the trial and the death of Stephen. I mean, it's, it's a lot of, of specific things. There's false accusations. There's an innocent victim. There's the religious leaders. There's the high council. There's the sham trial. Um, all these little language pieces that are the same, even their last words. When Jesus was crucified, he, he, as he was nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And here, right before Stephen dies, he says, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Jesus taught his followers to love their enemies. And here, Stephen is doing that. He is loving his enemies even in death. These religious leaders, in this moment, they thought that they had all the power. And they did. They were murdering a a man. They They had all the power. And yet, and yet, Luke wants us to understand that, my goodness, these guys, they were the farthest ones from God's actual heart and intentions for the world. They thought they were representing Yahweh, but they were actually rejecting him. Stephen, meanwhile, was living into the blessing of God's presence. These religious leaders, they were living into the curse, to the curse. It's the dichotomy, yet again, the dichotomy of trusting the God of love or standing in his way. Stephen was the first of many who ultimately gave their lives for, for Jesus. Uh, This, again, he was not the only martyr. There are many martyrs over the, over the years and over the centuries. Um, But it's interesting because when you look at a, at the records, the ancient records that were written after the book of Acts, there's a common pattern over and over again. I've, I've read these original texts, and it seems like almost every single time that these martyrs die, whether they're being fed to lions or set on fire by the authorities. Every time, they are filled with peace and even joy. They die singing hymns and celebrating the fact that they are suffering for Jesus. Why? Why would they do that? Well, it's because they had chosen the path of surrender to God's intentions for the world. The path of love, the path of life. They knew as they were on that path that no matter what happened to them— These martyrs, like Stephen, they died full of the love of God and they were confident that that path they were on, the path of life, it did not end when their physical bodies died. And so they were filled with joy. And I'll tell you, it was confounding to the authorities that were trying to persecute the church. They kept trying to kill these martyrs and every time they did, more and more people would join the movement. Wouldn't you, seeing someone go to the death with such faith and joy, what in the world is going on with these people? It's awe, yet again, that jaw-dropping astonishment. And it all began right here with the stoning of Stephen. So that's the story. That's, that's the, the dichotomy of, of the two paths lived out in the stoning of Stephen. Living out God's purposes or standing in his way. It's yet another example of the two ways that we can live. Now, when we see this story in the book of Acts, and we think about why was Luke trying, what was he trying to communicate to us, it's easy, or perhaps natural, to think that this story is just sort of a record of a turning point in the church. Like, this is a factual recounting of who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, how did it all happen, uh, who got it right, who got it wrong, right? It may seem, as we read this, that the die is cast, that the, uh, the, the good guys and bad guys are set in stone and we know who they are. But I don't think that's what Luke is trying to communicate in this story. I don't think he's just trying to give us a factual recounting of what happened. I think he's got something more in mind with this story. And I believe that because of one little detail that's in verse one of chapter eight. Take a look at it. Now, uh, it's all about the presence of Saul in this story. Saul uh, was one of these young zealous religious leaders of israel he was a pharisee and and saul uh, is the one one of those ones that's totally missing the point of god's purposes it says uh, in verse 58 he's one of the he's the young man who's guarding everybody's coats they took off their coats so they could stone stephen to death and he's guarding all the the coats of the older men who are murdering stephen right that's saul and it says luke goes out of his way to point out that saul agreed completely with the killing of stephen he completely agreed with it. And so you look at that and you think, okay, the die is cast for Saul. He chose his side. In the dichotomy of, of of Stephen's speech, in the dichotomy of Acts, it's clear which side of which path he is on. Stephen's blood is on Saul's hands. Full stop. End of story. And yet, we know what happens next. Saul, Saul, he begins going off to, to persecute Christians, but then something radical happens to him. This is what we're going to talk about in full next week. But Saul, he has this encounter with the risen Jesus that completely changes his trajectory. He, he repents of his of his sin and of, of the persecution that he is committing. He turns around completely and begins going in another direction. And, and Saul becomes one of the most influential apostles in the early church. We know him better as Paul, the Apostle Paul, church planter, missionary, the author of a huge chunk of the New Testament. I tell you all this because Saul being in this story, I mean, it's a reminder that, yeah, it may seem like there are these clearly defined lines between those who are in God's favor and those who are out of it. The dichotomy seems pretty darn clear, and you know what? It's true. There is a dichotomy. The lines are drawn, but you know what's even more true than that? God's grace, God's forgiveness. It goes way beyond the choices that we have made. What's true is that there is always a choice. There is always a choice. God's offer of blessing to us, his offer of of a different way to live, of life, The kind of things that Stephen experienced, the offer of God's restoring presence within us, it is always there for us to live into. Guys, look, Jesus did not die for just those who were already on the right path. He died for everybody, everybody, no matter what they did, no matter. He died for Saul, the young man who was totally approving of this extrajudicial murder. He died for him. There is always a choice He invites every one of us to to walk on this path of life with him, no matter what we have done or where we have been. No, the die was not cast for these religious leaders. At least one of them completely changed which path he was on. Stephen had made his choice already. It was clear. He was willing to die for what he believed in. But I don't want you to miss this. So did Saul. Ultimately, so did Saul. This this judgmental young Pharisee, he went on to not only dedicate his entire life to, to God's intentions for the world, to God's purposes, but tradition tells us and ancient texts tell us that Paul as well, Saul, this young Pharisee, ultimately gave his life as a martyr for Jesus. He too was executed for his belief in Jesus Christ. That's why I think the big idea from this story is is that yes, yes, there are two paths that we can walk, right? But all of us can make the choice to change which one we are on. There is always a choice. So let me ask you this. Have you made that choice? Have you made your choice? Do you know which of these two paths you are on? If you're faced with this dichotomy, is it clear, looking at your life, is it clear which choice you've made? Now, I, I know, you look at this story, you think, okay, well, I'm not the kind of person that would murder an angel-faced godly man, so maybe I'm good, right? That's, I know that's what we're thinking, but no, but no. Remember, the dichotomy here is not just about the religious leaders and Stephen, This is what Stephen's whole speech is about. The dichotomy is between those whose lives are an outflow of God's purposes for the world and those who are standing in his way. It's a dichotomy between those whose lives resemble the self-giving love of Jesus and those who are in it for themselves. Between those who trust God to go wherever he sends them and those who want to be the masters of their own destiny between those who are free of the enslaving power of sin and those who are still in chains? Have you made your choice? Have you made your choice? Because look, if you have, if you've made the choice to walk on the path of life, let me describe what it looks like, what it feels like. This will maybe help you know if you've made your choice. If if you're walking that path, then you know, first of all, that God's restoring presence is within you which means that you, personally, are being transformed day by day to look more like Jesus in your life. Little bits of of Eden should be springing up around you. Lives should be healed. Uh, Just like Stephen, love is taking root deep within, and your world looks a little bit more like God intended it to be. Now look, it doesn't mean things are perfect. No, this world is still very broken, but if you've made your choice, then, then, then you are on the path of life. And guess what? That path, you can be confident in this, that path does not end when your heart stops beating. Have you made your choice? Are you, are you living in the freedom of God's grace? Are you experiencing healing, both healing in your heart and the healing of the world around you? Are you tasting the power of the Holy Spirit? Because if you haven't yet made that choice, if you haven't yet made that choice, I want to remind you of something. You can always make that choice. There is always a choice. And guess what? Now is the time to make that choice. Why would you wait? Why would you wait if that is the choice that you are ready to make? Now is the time. But I also want to talk to those of you who maybe you made that choice at one point, but you've drifted. Maybe, maybe you were on the path of life at one point, but now you find yourself on the path of self. You're back on that path that, that, that leads you uh, not towards God's intentions, but away from them. Maybe you look around and you realize, my life is kind of breaking the world more than it's healing it. If that's you, I want to remind you of something. There is always a choice, isn't there? You can always choose to go back onto that path of life. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, if Saul can make that choice, you can make that choice. Why would you wait? Today is the day. And I want to be clear about one thing. When I talk about making this choice, when I talk about following Christ, surrendering your life to him, I am not, I am not talking about doing more religious stuff. I'm not talking about saying the right things, going to church more, not swearing. Like that's not what I'm talking about here. This is not about rule following. That's exactly the mistake that these religious leaders who who killed Stephen were, were making. No, this is not about rule following. This is about whole life surrender. This is about giving over the controls of your life to the God of restoration and healing. This is about saying, I am done. I am done trying to be the master of my own universe. I am done trying to self-medicate away all the pain. I'm done trying to just keep throwing my life onto the gears of success and power. I am done just going through the religious motions as if that's going to somehow earn God's favor. I am ready to surrender all of it. I'm ready to be—it's yours because I believe, I believe that the way of Jesus Christ, the path of life, it's the way to salvation. Jesus, I know that you died to set me free, and so my life is yours. That's what this is about. Guys, there is always a choice, always a choice to walk on the path of life. What will your choice be? Now, I want to give you a chance to tangibly respond right now. Because I know that, that you know, it, it's one thing to think about something and it's another thing to respond with action. And so we want to give you an opportunity to do that, to actually enact this choice that you have made. First of all, if you're online, if you're watching this from home, I encourage you, if you've made this choice, light a candle. We're going to be lighting some candles here. Do that as an act, as a symbol of what the choice that you have made. And please, would you go to our website and and request prayer? Send us an email. Let us know so that we can walk with you. That's what I would like for you to do. And for those of you who are in this room, there's a couple ways that you can respond. If you want to make that choice and you want to declare that you've made that choice, first of all, over here on, on my right, on the side of the stage, we have uh, candles that are not lit. They're, they're floating in water, which represents the waters of baptism. I want you, if you feel like now is the time to, to get back onto the path of life, maybe you've already been baptized, maybe you've already followed Jesus, but you wanna, for whatever reason, say, now is the time for me to show my community that I am back on track, that I am, I am making a commitment for Jesus again, then please go over here and light a candle doesn't matter no one's no one's gonna judge you no one's gonna think less of you this is the time to go and show that you are making a choice to get back on the path of life so if that's you would you do that and our prayer team is going to be over by the cross for the entire rest of service and they want to pray with you so if you have something that you need to work through if the spirit is is prompting you to to speak to god or have someone speak to god on your behalf would you go over there they're going to pray for you and they want to pray with you right now or if you are someone who has not yet made this choice, maybe you've never made the choice to surrender your life to Jesus, or or maybe you've made the choice, but you've never chosen to be baptized and show your community the choice that you've made. Well, we are gonna open these these, uh, baptismal waters and it is gonna be a really, really great opportunity for you to say, I'm done being the master of my own universe and I am ready to surrender my life to him if that's you, we've got everything prepared for you. You probably didn't come prepared today to get baptized, but we're ready for you. If that's the choice that you've made, if you're ready to make a public declaration of your faith in Jesus, then would you join us? Because I'll tell you what, I'm going to be down there. I've been down there for all the services this weekend because this is the first weekend that I have been able to baptize people since becoming a lead pastor. And so, no one's going to keep me out of there. I'm going to be down there. Uh, that's basically it. So, I want to baptize you. I want to baptize you. There is always a choice. There's always a choice. If you haven't made it or if you need to make it again, would you make that choice today?